from Atlanta, Georgia, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. This is the Real World Business Analysis Podcast. And now your host, Kara Lease. to be here today. Listen, it's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a while, but we're going to fix that. We're going to fix that this year, okay? We are not going to make the year pass without making sure we have a lot of content for you guys. I'm so excited. I had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas holiday. So we're back. It's January and I'm just really, really rested. You know what I mean? I'm feeling really good. Can you tell? So this Christmas, we went to Asheville, North Carolina. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. Asheville is such a nice, quiet, wonderful place. And we've been touring the East um, for the last couple of Christmases. And so the year before, we went to um, Gatlinburg in Tennessee. That was wonderful. We couldn't finish the place. It was so much to do, so many things. <laughs> Y'all don't know. The Southeast has a bunch of stuff. And I love nature. I love waterfalls. So for me, this is my happy place, you know. So we went to Asheville. Of course, we had to go to Biltmore Estate. That is one of the best uh, attractions. Well, not the best, but it's one of the bigger attractions in Asheville. It was built by the Vanderbilts. It was a wonderful place. Beautiful. In Christmas time, it's amazing. So many beautiful decorations. We, we got our eyes full. The place was awesome. Um, we did some snow activities, the snow tubing. I didn't do skiing because, you know, I have had friends who really hurt themselves trying to do that. And I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, <laughs> sick for the new year. So I still, I haven't tried the skiing yet, but I did the snow tubing and we did lots of stuff, um, roasting marshmallows by the fire. We went to a bunch of places with nice barbecues and, it was just really, really cool, y'all. You can tell I enjoy these outdoor things. If you watch my YouTube channel, you see some of the videos I've done from cabins because I'm always running off to North Georgia or somewhere for the weekend whenever I get a chance to enjoy some nature. Well, that's great. I'm happy I had a good time and I'm happy you're listening to me talking about me having a good time. But as you read from the title of this episode, we're going to talk about some rather unpleasant things, right? We're going to talk about some managers who are really, really terrible. So I've named this episode Messed Up Managers because we do have some messed up managers out there. And I want to start the new year with this because we are going to make a difference this year. We are not going to continue to be stressed out at work. Now, my personality is such that I'm always happy. And whenever I see people doing all kinds of shady stuff, I don't really absorb that. You know, I repel the negative energy because my energy is so strong in the positive way. But I've noticed there's a few people who started the year kind of down and they were just stressed out and they're like, one more year of this, you know, I'm going back to work and they weren't happy about it. And I was like, dude, I got to, I got to find a way to see if I could help other people who may be feeling the same way. And there are some really messed up people who somehow get into management and they wreak havoc 
on the employees, they wreak havoc on the company because sometimes the top, top leadership, they don't realize what's going on below them. And they're out there trying to make sales, trying to make profit, trying to grow the company. And there's somebody that they have employed in the middle management, typically, that's chasing away good employees, that's creating a toxic environment. And it's really unfair to the leadership and also to the employees who have to suffer through these managers. So we're going to talk about these messed up managers. And I'm going to point out some of them. And you're going to see which one of these you're dealing with. Now, if you're not dealing with any messed up managers, you're good, right? You're dealing with some great people. But it's unrealistic to think that you're going to go through your working life without meeting people who are, you know, questionable. So we're going to talk about some of them, explain what it is so that you can understand that this is not a unique situation to you. And maybe we'll have some suggestions as to how to deal with these messed up managers so it doesn't impact you that much and you don't internalize what they're doing. I want you to not internalize what they're doing. And I want to make sure you also stay away from being a messed up manager, right? You don't want to be the problem. <laughs> All right, so let's get started on this list. So number one on my list of messed up managers is the micromanager. You guessed it. You knew it, right? The micromanager, guys. What an awful set of people. <laughs> the micromanager is one of the most often cited characteristics of a bad manager. Because instead of giving you space and time and autonomy to perform, the micromanager is just managing you to an extent that you feel like they're breathing down your neck right? They dictate every single part of the process. I remember I had a boss one time. And by the way, I've had wonderful bosses. Actually, the people I've worked with over the years, when I look back at all the jobs I've had, actually, I'm very fond of all the places I've worked. I've had great people. But one or two of them slip in there. But the good thing about it is they didn't last too long. So I never had to deal with them too long and they just left or something happened. And I think God just moved them out of the way for me. <laughs> or my light just repels them. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I had a manager one time and she would give you a task, let's say at nine o'clock. Okay. And you start working on the task at 12 o'clock. She set a calendar meeting on, on your calendar to have a check-in. In the next like 15 minutes so you check in at 12 15 for example okay you give her updates and then she puts another check in at 3 p.m before the day is done you, you meet with her and you check in and then she'll be the one sending you emails at 1 a.m in the morning you're like why does not why doesn't this woman sleep like what are you doing sending an email to your staff at 1 a.m don't you have like a life like <laughs> I would say, you know, say, oh, you know, I got your email, but it was like a one. You're up that late working? She's like, yeah, you can send email anytime. I just send it when I remember so I don't have to uh, forget it. But, I mean, how terrible is your work-life balance that you can take, take a note, take a piece of paper and write it down and in the morning you just send it at a reasonable time. When I see people sending emails at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, it just shows me that they have no life and they're way too invested in the job 
and they don't respect me either because they know I'm going to see the timestamp. And it gives the impression, okay, if your boss is working at 1 a.m., should do they expect you to be doing the same? And hell no, I'm not going to be doing the same, okay? Hell no. So it's really bad. It's unprofessional. And I, I really wasn't happy about her doing that. But the micromanaging boss is terrible. It's terrible because you don't get to grow. And I've always said that the purpose of the job is not really to make money, in my opinion, right? You're not there to really make money because jobs... Um, yes, you definitely need your salary so you can pay for your bills. But the most valuable thing you get from a job is what you learn. It's how you can get those transferable skills. It's what you can learn that can help you make even more money in your next role. So if you're at a job and you're not learning anything, you know, it's almost time to go. So when I'm at a job and I'm being micromanaged, how am I going to learn? Because I can't make a mistake so I can learn from it. I can't explore something different. I have to do exactly what you say, exactly how you say it. And for an analytical mind like mine or yours, because we're analysts here, that's not going to fly. So when you have a very micromanaging boss, it really sours your experience at work and it's not good. So the way you kind of handle the micromanager is... You have to let them start trusting you, right? So at the beginning, it's hard for them to let go. So the first couple of tasks they give you, try to knock it out the park. And then you can start telling them, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this one. You know, or you might say, okay, I'm working on this thing. Let me get back to you within two weeks or within a week with the results. Like try to put some time and space between you and them. But if you've already delivered the first thing and it's like golden, then they start to to have to trust you a little bit more. They micromanage you often because they don't trust you and maybe there's a time deadline, maybe they have to report to someone higher than themselves and they don't want to mess it up. So they want to make sure that you know exactly what to do and they also sometimes are on an ego trip. They feel like they're the most important thing and if they're not in the middle doing it, then it's not going to get done. It's very hard for people to let go of things, especially if they were the ones who came up with the process. But you have to help them to trust you by delivering high-quality requirements, high-quality documentation, leading the discussions properly, and then asking them to help you to do something on your own. Like, in other words, you say, hey, I can handle the next refinement call next time. Would that be okay with you? And they're like, okay. You know, they're going to be probably joining the call to listen in and to, like, correct you or whatever. But take initiative and do things. And they'll have no choice but to stop micromanaging you, all right? Now, the next boss that's awful, messed up, <laughs> is the no decision boss. I think these are the worst ones. Because when you have managers who, they're there for one main reason, to make good decisions, to help you move along in the project. And they cannot decide to save their life. I've had managers who I call them somebody do something managers. <laughs> what does that mean? It means every time I have a decision to be made, they throw their hands up in the air like, oh my God, somebody, somebody do something. They don't know who to do what. They don't know what to do. So in a way, that's good for me because I will step into that vacuum and just do it. But also, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not paid to be doing that. Right? My job, my role, I know where it starts and where it ends. 
If you're at a senior level, you're a CIO, for example, and you're throwing your hands up in the air, somebody do something. Somebody do something. <laughs> My phone is just going off. Hold on. Sorry, guys. This is a almost a live show, so all kinds of stuff can happen. In any minute, no, my dog's going to come upstairs and start barking. So I'm just going to give you forewarning on that. But yeah, these decision, no decision-making managers, they're the biggest threat to the project because they will leave things to the last minute. And because they didn't make a decision, it's going to come back and bite us all. You're not going to get away with not making a decision. They don't understand this. If you try to just ignore it, it's not going to go away, okay? You have to take a stance. It could be, I would rather the manager, which we're going to talk about next, making a bad decision over the one that makes no decision at all. Because no decision means everything else is on the table. And so we go in all different directions, which is terrible. So with a no decision uh, manager, you could make the decision for them because they're not making it. But it also means that now you become responsible, you become the owner, you add to your own plate. That's one approach. Or you let it fall. They don't want to make a decision that's not your job, okay? If the client is going to be upset because we didn't do what was in the requirements and they needed to pay for a new component and they didn't take it up, well, what are you going to do? So <laughs> it depends on the personality. Sometimes I would suggest the decision to them. I said the best thing to do in this situation is... Let's tell the client that we can't deliver these requirements, but we'll deliver these other two. That way they get something, but they don't get the bells and whistles. So this is the decision. So sometimes I tell them what they need to do, but I say it as a suggestion, hoping that they'll take the bait and just say what I said, because that's they don't have the context. Sometimes they just, they just don't want to face the possibility that there's a question that they can't answer, and they don't want to make a decision. So these are really terrible, terrible bosses to have. The next boss, bad decision boss. Oh my God, these ones are very common too. They cannot make the right decision for nothing. <laughs> to give them a problem and the solution they come up with is just crazy terrible. For example, you have an urgent project coming to the end and there's a bunch of requirements that the client is putting in. And before they stand up and say, no, we can't add more to the scope because we're already at the end of the project and we haven't finished what we already agreed to. Instead, they go in and they say, yeah, 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 it's easy. We already have infrastructure. Let's add one more thing because it might just be an hour's worth of work for our devs. And you're in the call as a B and you're like, what in the world is this manager saying? He has no clue that it's not just the backender's work that we have to do. The BA has to go write requirements. The BA has to go elicit the requirements to know what to write. The QA has to test it, right? The, um, the UX designer has to design the UI for it. We got to do this a part of the UAT. So one small thing that you think you could sneak in just exploded into hours and hours of work. What are you doing? Especially if we're at the end of the project. So these are some of the bad decisions people make all the time. And they don't even know that they're making bad decisions. So we're all sitting in there looking at them like, okay, this is an idiot. <laughs> Sometimes you know you have idiots as bosses and you're like, look at this idiot. <laughs> My daughter who's seven she said mommy you're not supposed to say that that's a bad thing to say about people well you're an idiot you are an idiot i don't know how you got into management and you really should quit right now <laughs> tell me if you guys haven't thought that tell me haven't you worked with people and you're like oh my god 
how did this happen? So what do you do with a boss who makes lots of bad decisions? You have to help them to, to, to course correct, right? It's unfortunate. It shouldn't be your job to do that, but you have to because they can cause you more work. They can cause the project to go completely awry. They can cause the client to have a bad experience with your company. And if your company doesn't make sale, you don't have a job. So you kind of have to not be the blamer. Don't try to blame. Don't be a blamer. We're going to talk about the blamer manager in a minute. But you're going to have to try to course correct. So you're going to have to do the same that you do with the bad decision. Um, I mean, the no decision, like kind of suggest the better decision and kind of say it in an open forum so everybody can hear it and they can all chime in. Because sometimes all they need is a nudge to the right direction and hopefully they will take your advice. Now, here's the other type of manager, which is probably the most dangerous, y'all. Probably the most dangerous. These managers, when I encounter them, um, either they leave or I find a way to get out because you cannot solve this problem too easily. These managers are what I call the hold you back managers. Hold you back managers. They're really, really, really messed up. So what they do is they see your light. They see you shining. They see that you are... Um, going doing well they see that you you have prospects and you understand what you're doing and you're making good relationships and you're 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 looking like you're about to explode right you're going to grow in the company and they're fear some of them are fearful that you're going to even replace them and what they do they try to hold you back and they're very devious with this stuff how do they hold you back well there's many tactics one of the main ways that these messed up managers hold you back is they try to give you bad reviews you know, at the end of the year, you have your quarterly review or maybe you have a yearly review and maybe your your bonus is tied to it or just the impression that the rest of the team will have on you is tied to it and HR goes up the chain to management. If you're in a big company, if you're in a small company, it's just basically you and the manager, right? Goes to the CEO and that's it. So what they do is they try to find things to like hold you back with, right? Say things that's not even completely true but it's not really false you can't it's subjective you can't really rebut everything they say it's really their opinion and they use it as ways to try to sound like they're making you suggestions on improvements but what they're really doing is trying to make sure that you stay under them and you don't ever rise any further i'll give an example here's a worker who she's been working as a ba for a long time very well experienced girl and she has managers some are good and there's one particular one that's not too good and he's one of those managers who makes bad decisions and he'll tell you to do something and then the next two weeks he asks you why you did it like didn't you tell me to do it so she's been explaining that to me for a while and then he leaves a, re a review end of year review because we know we just started a new year so last december he left her a review and she sent it to me she's like carlis what do you think about this i mean really what what, what would you do <laughs> here's what he said he said xyz i'm not going to call her name is definitely a hard worker on the project. Her commitment is recommendable and goes above and beyond to build her knowledge on the product. I would love to see her step up further in being more smart and creative in defining the overall product vision and clarity on the roadmap she builds for the team for delivery. You see what he did there? Let me read that last part again for you. I would love to see her step up further in being more smart and creative 
in defining the overall product vision and clarity on the roadmap she builds for the team for delivery. What in the world is going on? First of all, sometimes these managers, they expose themselves because you can tell that this person doesn't have a clue what a BA does. The BA is not responsible, sir, for product vision. That is the product owner and the product manager. Ding, 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 ding. Idiot. <laughs> Messed up manager. Completely out of his mind. And then he says, and clarity on the roadmap she builds. No, the BA is not responsible for building no roadmap. And in her company, she explained the structure. That's definitely not her job. It's a huge company. There's so many different roles just for that alone. So that's not on her plate. So the roadmap, yes, we contribute to it. We help you understand what the different items are that make up the roadmap. But it's not your responsibility to own the roadmap as a business analyst. So the manager himself has no clue what the BA is supposed to even do. But he's so quick and so ready to leave a review exposing his own ignorance. Do you understand? So this is how they try to hold you back. Now, why would you leave a comment to somebody and say, uh, be more smart? Is that a, a professional thing to say? What are you trying to say? She's stupid? <laughs> and be more creative, right? In defining product vision. That is, it just doesn't make any sense. So sometimes what I say to her is leave it alone because he exposes himself because this is going to float up, right? And the person who's going to read is going to see that he's being absolutely ridiculous and stupid. So she was saying, should I have a meeting with him and ask him why he left this mess, this review for me and this is not appropriate? I said, you don't need to meet with him about nothing. This is my advice. If you want to meet with someone, meet with the HR and say, this is the situation. Here are all the things that I've been dealing with because this is a person who's been giving her lots of trouble. Um, so here's the things that, you know, I've been dealing with. And this is a review that I got. And let the HR person deal with it. What are you going to get in the middle of it for? So this is an example of hold you back managers trying to give you a bad review, trying to find a way to keep you down. It's not going to work. If you are a good person and you're doing the right thing, sometimes you, you can call things out, but some, sometimes you can let things wait because nobody's getting away with anything. The universe corrects all of it. So <laughs> that was my advice. Let me know if you think that's a good advice or not. But that's what I would have done, and I, I don't know if she took my advice, but that's what I would have done. Now, the other type of managers are your steal your credit managers. Oh, my God. Steal your credit. What does that mean? The most disgusting thing a boss can do is be a credit thief. This is why they're messed up. This is why they're a messed up manager. So what it means to steal your credit. So you've worked on something. You've done all this work. You came up with all these ideas. You... You, you know, you worked hard at something and then you hand it over to your manager. They go to the management meeting where you're not there sometimes and they act as if it was all their idea and they came up with it. And this is how, you know, that they were the ones who made it come to fruition. No mention of the team, no mention of you if you're the idea person and they just act as if it's all them. And every time you have an idea and you have to get them to approve it, then they may approve it and then they act as if it was their idea. 
or they decline what you said and then they twist it around to say something slightly different but in essence it's the same idea you gave them renamed it rebranded it and act like it was all you know their their idea like it's a new idea that they came up with it's awful i think when you have managers like that who are you know taking your ideas and stealing it then that's definitely a characteristic of a really really bad boss so how do you fix this what do you do well, you got to be realistic in your role, right, on the project. And then, you know, evaluate who has the most influence on the end result. So, give your team credit. And they will likely give you credit in return, right? So, if, if your manager is the one stealing the credit, then you don't even want him to mention or that person to mention you particularly. You just start praising the team in public places like you have a channel right and maybe let's say you came up with an idea and you know the manager is, is an idea thief or a credit thief you go in there you praise the entire team you say we well, you know want to thank the team for working together on this and we came up with these ideas and we were able to do this and start saying we a lot and saying it in public places so that the manager can't go then in a private setting with a few people in a meeting and try to act like it was all their idea because the whole the whole team or maybe whoever's in that channel will be able to see that no you know it was it was a team effort and you know honestly sometimes when you steal an idea i don't even try to reclaim it because if you never had the the idea in the first place you won't know how to manage the idea and sometimes when you get into the details and they go back to the person who said oh yeah it was my idea and say okay so how's this part gonna work and how's that part gonna work they didn't think through that. So then they start, you know, making up stuff. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. And it becomes obvious that they're idea thieves. <laughs> so, again, a lot of my solutions to things have to do with time. If you're in a rush to prove that it's your idea or you're in a rush to prove things, they, you know, you won't see the, the benefit as much as I have, which is I leave it to time. And time solves a lot of it. Where people, they claim that they know this and they know that. And then you start asking them detailed questions and it falls apart. Or they give you bad decisions and you tell them that this is a bad decision. They don't want to listen to you. And you let them do the bad thing and it falls apart. Or, you know, it always falls apart. You just have to give it enough time. So this is the reason why some people want to take it into their own hands and they want to solve it themselves. In some cases, that's the most appropriate action. But I find that the justice of God is much better than my own justice. And as if I just leave it, to, if I if I leave it to time, it solves itself. And if I punish the person right now, then God doesn't also punish them. God's going to give them one punishment. So if I take it on myself, you know, and start calling them out and doing all this extra stuff, then God will step back. And I'd rather them get God's punishment because it's much worse than mine. <laughs> I'm telling you, nobody's getting away with anything. The universe corrects everything, all right? That's what I believe, at least. So, hopefully, you guys will come to see that as well. All right, the next type of messed up manager is the no feedback manager or the poor communicator or the poor listener. You have some people who somehow get into management and they are so ego-filled that they don't even want to hear what you have to say. It's like, my idea is always the best idea. 
And they're terrible. This is why they're a terrible manager. They don't really listen. Like, I've had managers where you're telling them the solution they're coming up with has all of these bugs, all of these flaws, all of these things that's going to make it a problem, both for us as a project team and for the client. And this one particular lady, she was just insistent on, okay, well, we're just going to do this, we're going to do that. It's like she already promised something to someone and come hell or high water, she wanted to do it, even if it made no sense, even if it cost the team effort and time and all this extra stuff. It's like she was just set on this one thing and you couldn't get her off that idea at all. It's like, are you even listening? And from then on, I just don't deal with her. Luckily for me, I was in a situation where I could choose which projects I worked on and I just didn't work on her project. You know what I mean? So you have to be a good communicator as a manager. You have to listen because you can't know everything. If you know everything, you still can't do all of what you know. So you have to listen to others. How do you deal with these people? You could do what I did and bounce. <laughs> Sometimes it's best to bounce. Sometimes you can stay there and fight and fight, but you're just getting yourself gray hairs earlier than you need to. So, in some cases, I just, if I can get out, I get out. But some, some cases, you cannot get out. So, what you do with the poor communicator is you try to find multiple ways to communicate with them, different channels. So, you're, you're, you're texting them. If you can have a meeting with them, you're putting it in the chat, but in different ways. So, you're saying the same things in different ways to try to hope that one of those ways will work. And, you know, if you can repeat back what they're saying. So you, most of this advice also has to do with you, right? If you can start becoming a better listener yourself, then you hear what they're saying, repeat it back to them, and then try to hope that they'll listen to what you're saying because you just did the same for them, right? They have to make an effort. Um, some people are harder to work with than others, but you just have to make an effort there. All right, the next miserable messed up manager is the absentee manager. Oh my God. These ones are common too. These are the ones where you don't know where they are, what the hell they're doing. Like they don't show up for the meetings or if they show up, they don't say nothing. They're on the call just to say that they're on the call, but you can best believe that they're multitasking or they're doing some other thing. And if there's a problem, they don't jump in and try to like help solve it. The mess, the absentee Manager is messed up because they're very much in common with the no decision manager where they're just not there They can't make a decision because they're not being involved. They don't know what's going on. They're completely out of touch Have no clue and some of them they want to sit back and I had a manager once who tried to be slick, right? He was absentee. He was just I don't know what he did with his time. but definitely was working so <laughs> You can tell because you don't know nothing you talk about a topic and he's just Okay, can you remind me, blah, blah, blah. You're like, dude, are you even like at work? <laughs> so the absentee manager is often absent, clearly. Um, and even if they're physically present, they're absent because they're not saying anything. They seem to be out of the loop and out of touch with lots of the discussion that's going on. They can't make a decision because they don't have the details and they don't seem to be trying to get the details. Um... And one of the tactics that they use is, especially if you work in an agile environment, is they try to over leverage the self-management. So in agile, you're supposed to let the team kind of come up with their own processes and kind of just work, whatever works for the team is what you kind of let them do. 
so that you don't have this heavy hand of management dictating down to them. And that's beautiful. But there are some things that you still need decisions and management to help you get through. Otherwise, you would need to employ CIOs and VPs at all at the, at the higher level. So what I've found that the absentee manager does is that he tries to over leverage himself managing and say, okay, you guys come up with this. You guys come up with the process and you guys tell me what's the best idea here. And you guys, and that's good to an extent where you need, you don't want to have over management. And this is the opposite of the micromanager, but you need some overarching guidelines that should be set by these higher managers. And when they are absolutely absent, they haven't done anything. You're like, why are you even here then? Like, if we're doing it all ourselves, then what is your purpose? So, yeah, so that's the thing with the absentee. I don't have any suggestions as to how to handle these people because they're not even around a lot. Except don't get caught into the constantly updating them scenario. So because they're not around and there's going to be times when they're going to join top leadership meeting and they have to say something then they start pressuring you okay tell me what the project is doing and tell me where we are and now we finish this and, and you end up updating them on maybe like a month's worth of work or two months worth of work because they're not being involved so what i do when they start rushing me for updates i give them the bare minimum and i leave it at that because they don't have the detail to ask me detail further down so if you weren't involved I'll give you an update, but I can't regurgitate two months worth of conversation and discussions for you because you weren't around. Okay? So, if you have a manager who has the right balance between being involved and not becoming a micromanager, then you're lucky, right? It's, it's that sweet spot where you step in if you need to ask, if you need to answer questions and give a decision or a direction, but you let the team run with what they need to run with and they don't have to depend on you. You don't become a bottleneck. Those are the best managers and it's a very difficult um, spot to find, right? You don't want to become a bottleneck. You don't want to become, you know, everybody has to pass through you for everything. You don't want to be stressing your team and you want to give them that autonomy. But at the same time, you have to at least keep in the know. Join the call. Join the scrum meetings. You know, listen in on what they're saying. Join the planning sessions. Keep abreast and don't just be absent. You're there. You join the call. We know you're there. But you don't say anything. That's because you're multitasking. And then come end of the month when you have to give a report to the CIO now you, or the CEO, now you're stressing everybody to tell you what happened and why we're here and what, what's going on. Like, that's not cool. Okay? Now, the next miserable... <laughs> <laughs> the next messed up manager is a disorganized one. The one that's like scatterbrained. Like when they're working on something, everything is like half baked and they take on new scope in the middle of something else. And you're like, let's finish something. Let's get something to finished. And then we can take on other things. And there's a, like 10 different pots boiling and everything's boiling over. Everything's on fire. Everything's like, Crazy, crazy, crazy. They have you start working on one thing, then they take you off that and put you on something else, and then there's something else and something else, and you cannot catch a break with these disorganized people. They haven't, and this, the reason why they're so disorganized is because they haven't sat down and made a proper decision as to what is the priority, right? They, they, the idea of having prioritized work isn't really resonating with them, and sometimes they have to handle production issues or urgent issues and I understand that but even within the urgent issues you have to prioritize what's most urgent for the team and what's not 
what will you have to make a tough decision on? Like you're going to have to say we're going to have to live with this thing for a while because we can't solve everything. These disorganized managers don't have the, the, the skills to get organized, to prioritize, to mobilize a team. And that's what makes them so messed up. How do you deal with these disorganized managers? Then you organize yourself. Kind of the same with the one who can't make decision. You kind of have to organize yourself and then prioritize and, and suggest a priority to them and maybe they'll take your advice. Um, and it's unfortunate, but you end up doing their job. That's just what it is. Because if you don't do that, then their disorganization spills over to you and then you look disorganized in the room where they're not there, right? So then people start looking at you because they don't see the other person who's causing the disorganization. So you kind of have to protect yourself from that. Now, the next manager, which kind of sums up the ones before, is the do my job for me manager. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Do my job for me. This is where everything they get to do on their plates somehow lands on your plate. They just slide it along, right? They have a task, well, delegate, 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 delegate. To the point where they're just sitting back with their feet up and everybody else is doing what they're supposed to do. And in a way, this is not too bad for you because you want to be exposed, you want to learn. I always look at things as, how am I learning from this experience? So if you have me doing your job, and I'm learning about how to replace you. Well, <laughs> see, I told you, the universe corrects itself. So you think you're getting away with not doing anything, but you don't realize that what you're doing is punting your job off to people. So what they try to do is split the work up so that no one person is doing the whole thing, so they still have relevance, but they don't realize that it's still it's not going to be enough, right? So if you can do somebody else's job and not affect your own job and learn, it's not good for the manager, but it's good for you because you're going to learn and you're going to grow. And then the manager who gave his job to you, basically, he's not in the details. So now he'll need you to explain what, what was done. So you become more, more useful. It's still all in all a bad thing. And this manager shouldn't be doing that. But you can also learn from this. So, you know, there's that. All right. This one that is on my list of messed up managers is one that I personally struggle with in the few places where I've met people who have been bad managers. As again, I tell you, I work with really great people. Most of them have been wonderful, but there's been a few companies where they slip in, right? And a few projects, like off-the-cuff projects I've done. Um, I don't even put some of these on my resume. This is things I've done and I was like, okay, wow. So... <laughs> So this one is what I call the sexist. And this is not just men, it's women too. So women and men who are sexist. So in other words, there are some men and women that will look at you and they will have preconceived perceptions, okay? Now, this preconceived perception could have been caused by somebody else that they worked with that kind of had your characteristics and features or not, or not. But the reason I'm using the word sexist and not racist is because I've found as a woman in a primarily male-dominated field of programming, there's a lot of male programmers and software developers. There's a lot of male software architects. There's a lot of male, you know, C-level IT professional executives. 
it's a very male dominant field. And me as a BA, part of the role is I have to tell the team what to build and they figure out how to build it. Some people don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> so if the developers are just out there writing code and I'm the one telling you what the code is about, some people are a little bit averse to it and they try to show you up and they try to do all kind of tactics around and around. And I bounce that up and I boil it up into sexism because it's because sometimes because you're a woman. Now, I really stay away from the blame game. I don't like to feel like I'm a victim of anything. I think I can overcome everything. I don't feel like I'm being particularly judged everywhere I go because of my uh, race or sex. or I don't walk around with that in my head. It's really a self-limiting thought and I don't subscribe to anything that's self-limiting. But I cannot ignore the reality and I've met a couple of people from, a, and they all have one thing in common, the ones that I've interacted with, they tend to come from a particular country. And they have this thought that this space should be occupied by probably another male. So the questions that they ask me are not the same kinds of questions they ask my male counterparts. And there's a difference sometimes you can notice it you can see it you're like you think I didn't see that right there I'll give an example we joined a meeting one time and the meeting had uh, a title and an objective and you know we knew what the meeting was for I wasn't the one that called the meeting I was invited to the meeting so we, we, we went into the meeting and the person who orchestrated the meeting didn't show up. Everybody else was on the call except the person who created the meeting. I was like, okay, let's wait a few minutes, see if they will join. This one particular person jumps up and says, no, 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 um, since uh, the person didn't join, uh, let's let's all jump, jump off. Okay. So we jumped off. No problem. The next week, something similar happened. I was also invited to a meeting. I wasn't the one orchestrating the meeting. I was just invited to it. I joined. And the same, almost the same people joined again. And then I said, okay, I had this particular thing to discuss in this meeting related to the topic of the meeting. And I started to talk about it. But the person who orchestrated the meeting, again, didn't show up. And... One of the, the guys on the call said, okay, the person walked us into the meeting, didn't show up, so we're going to end. We're all going to jump off. In the middle of what I'm saying, while I'm talking about my topic. And then the other people are like, oh, do you want to deal with the thing that Carly brought up? Like, no, 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 let's just do another meeting for that. So it's like, um, yeah, uh, what what's going on right now? Now, people can say, well, Carly this was not your meeting, so they didn't have to stay. And I would say to them, the meeting was, what I was talking about is related to the topic of the meeting. And wouldn't you think it's real rude in the middle of somebody talking to just jump in and say, let's all jump off this meeting while somebody is talking? And this is a person who constantly will cut you off in the middle of what you're saying and change the topic and do all of that stuff while you're talking, but when the other guys are talking, they don't do that.
See what I mean? That is what I'm saying. You might be talking about a requirement and you're explaining how the system is going to work and here's the design that's going with it and they just jump in and deflect the conversation to something else and you have to be telling them, let's finish this topic first before we get to yours. And like, okay, 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 okay. So they do it in the minimum way so you can't really... In other words, it's not rude enough for you to say, for people to be completely disgusted by it. But it's a constant thing that I would feel because I'm in all the meetings, running all these meetings, but the different participants are different people. So they don't see it as often as I see it. So every time I have these meetings and I have, most of the people I'm talking to are guys. When the guys are talking, this one particular person doesn't interrupt that guy. But as soon as I'm talking, he jumps in and starts to change topic and tries to oversay things. Or he makes little sly comments like, oh, I don't know why we have so many user stories. And it's like, well, I'm not like, I'm saying to myself, you don't know why we have so many user stories? Do we not have a, a, a project that requires user stories? Like, yeah, but we should make some of these into tasks or something else. And, and I said, okay. So your complaint is that we have too many user stories, but we should have the same number, just call them something different. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just ridiculous. So the person has the leverage or feels that they should um, interrupt you or they should uh, try to distract what you're saying or there's just little passive aggressive things. So how did I deal with the situation? Well, the first thing is, when I'm having my meetings and anybody interrupts me, I put them in their place. I said, we're talking about this topic. If you want to change the topic, we can have a separate meeting for that. This meeting, the purpose of it is to talk about this. So if your comment is not related to this topic, then we'll have to have a separate topic. And when they start going down the, path, the, the, the rabbit hole, this person will ask a question that distracts the entire meeting to some, some other topic that we, you know, wasn't the purpose of the meeting. And I would stop. Anybody who's answering and remind them that the purpose of the meeting is XYZ. And then I had a, um, a, a we call them like, um, almost like a BA manager, right? So I, I stopped directly communicating with this person. I just said, any communication that we have will go through the BA manager. And we created a, a group chat. And every time I have something to say to this person, I say it through that group chat. So everybody can see what we're talking about. And because he, the person would be trying to give me directions under the table, you know, sidestepping my manager at the time, all of these different little tactics. So you know that it's, it's, it's almost a setup. <laughs> I saw it as a setup at the time. Like they were trying to find little things to give you and then if it didn't work out, then they could make it look like you're the one who came up with it on your own or you're the one that's doing the wrong thing. Do you know what I mean? And they'll make comments like, and I'm going to talk about the blamer manager in a minute where they'll be, they'll send you, for example, let me show you this trick. They send you, uh, um, let's say a document that has, you know, hun not hundreds, but like maybe 150 pages of document. And then they say, Hey, read through this and make sure we don't have anything there that's going to affect our, our requirements. And you're like, really? <laughs> you go through the document. And I, I was young in my career, so I I was being used and I didn't know, right? 
And it was until I matured as a BA that I understood some of these tactics and I was able to combat them better, right? But at the time they sent me this big document and I went through as much as I could and I kind of scanned over some of the pages, didn't see anything and said, move on. So I said, so I, so I moved on, right? So a month or two later, there was this thing that came up and they said, oh, you know, it was in this document that we had sent to Carolise. And then the person was jumping in like, Carolise, they sent you this document and you didn't check and this is why this requirement, blah, blah, blah. And I said, dude, you sent me a 150-page document, okay? This thing was on page 145 or something like that on a little footnote. And I said, um, I didn't see it. But even if I didn't see it, now we can make the corrections. I've written a story to correct it and we're going to go back and correct it. Granted, I know that we had to spend time and effort and there's development work to, to make the correction, but you didn't hire a robot, right? You hired somebody who who's possible to make mistakes. So I said, I have made the, the, the stories to correct it, um, and I'm sorry that I missed it. It was a footnote on the, like, the back of the document. So, and, you know, if you really felt so strongly about it, why didn't you call it out if you, if you felt so strongly and you knew this was there, you know? It's a trick. It's a setup. It's a setup, right? They just wanted to punch something to you and, and, and try to say, okay, you got it, so it's your fault. You send me an email so now I'm owner of, of whatever is in your email. That's, that's a setup. A real team, a real team building manager would have called us together and said, hey, we have this document. We have all these things to go through. We want to make sure we didn't le lose anything. Um, Carolise, I'm going to ask you to be the owner of doing this. But if anybody sees anything else, just call it out, blah, blah, blah. Or something, 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 something team-wise, right? Um, and the, the funniest thing was that document was presented in a management meeting. So if you were sitting in the meeting when the thing was being presented, like the highlights of it, the PowerPoint for it, then why didn't you call, call out what you saw? You should, you're just as involved as I am. Why didn't you call it out? No, you sat through your meeting. Didn't do nothing. Probably one of those people who are multitasking. Didn't even check on nothing. Then you want to send me the word doc of it. And then you want to use that as some kind of example of how I'm, you know, not delivering or something like that. It's crazy. Garbage. This is what a messed up manager will do. So, these messed up managers who are sexist, they, they tend to want to minimize you as a woman in the field. And as a woman of color, you know... <laughs> You can't respond certain ways. I'm very cautious of how I respond. I'm always trying to be overly professional because there's a stigma out there about black women. No, I'm not black American. I'm a Jamaican, but it doesn't matter. We're all bumped in the same um, in the same category. And there's a stigma that we are angry and that we are, you know, raucous. And this is what the the media has portrayed. So if you as if I as a black woman were to respond in a particular way. Then it will just be, yeah, there they go again, you know. So I have to be very careful how I respond. And I have to be very careful to be as professional as I can because I do not want that stereotype to be associated and to be perpetuated by me. So what do I do with the sexist, um, the sexist manager? Like I said, I go through the channel with the, with the, the manager in between us, right? Um, I make sure that any communication is done in some kind of group chat. There's no direct communication between me and this person. Any meetings that we're in is a group meeting. There's no one-on-one -on -one meeting. If you want a one-on-one -on -one meeting with me, I'm inviting my manager directly because I don't need to be talking to you one-on-one -on -one because I don't report to you and I don't need you to be coming and giving me no work. 
and you are a sexist person, so you don't respect me anyway, so I don't need to be meeting with you directly. So I don't meet with them individually at all. Any communication is being done in a group setting and just minimize the interaction you have with this person as much as possible. Just minimize it because you those are innate traits that it's very difficult to change. People who are racist, people who are sexist, people who don't like to see women excel in the in the work world, you, you really it's hard to that's an ingrained behavior and you can't really fix it. And sometimes, as I said, time. Sometimes these people just disappear. <laughs> Some of them get fired. <laughs> Some of them find other jobs and you're like good riddance. You know what I mean? So or you find another job and be done with them. So it depends on what you want to do, but you know. As I said, time solves a lot of things. All right. The shifting priorities manager, they shift priorities. Oh, my God. They, these people go back to a previous um, one that I talked about, which, you know, has to do with a lot of disorganization, uh, like the disorganized manager. They just, they're not prioritizing very well. But these ones, they may have a priority, but they shift it around. So this is what they say the priority today, and then next time is another priority. Now, part of this is part, of course, with the job, where you have to assess what you're focused on. And if you need to change, you have to be willing to adapt, especially if you work in an agile environment. So that is good. That's not a bad thing. But when I say shifting priorities is they, um, they lead you down a path. And then they themselves change their minds, not by any outside influence. There's not a client that's like causing something or something that they have to focus on. They just said, for example, this happens a lot with technical people. They would say something like, okay, we can do an API call that sends us an event and sends us a message. And then we can pass that message along directly to the customer. So we don't have to do the work. We just get information from the API and we're done. And that's a solution, for example. And you as a BA, you run off on your right requirements around this, you write your user stories and you do your elicitation and you do all these things around that solution. And then they come back and say, or you get into the details and then you ask them some more information. Okay, what exactly does the message have? Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, I don't think that'd be a good solution. You know what? We need to have a template and we need to have a template that has a default value. And this template is what we're going to use. And we're going to do the template. And you say, okay, so it's going to be template. All right. Scratch the API event and message. Let's do template. We go right off stories. You go off and you write stories for the template. And then as you're going through that, then they say, um, actually, we could have a template, but we also need to have that direct message. So let's have a combination. So they have a template and then you have the message. And then you're like, oh my God, you've done, you've written this thing three two times now. This is your third time. And you say, okay, if you have a template and you're also getting the cost of the API, which one will be sent to the mess to the to the to the customer? Because if you have a template, then that's the default. But if you also have a message, then are you gonna be checking to override the template? And what will make you make that decision? Like I don't understand which one of these two things will happen. And then they go off into some thinking again. So it's not a case where you're not eliciting the right requirements from them on a technical level. It's that at the time when you elicit the requirements, the team is convinced, or the manager, let's say this is a, a technical uh, problem, right? The manager is convinced that this is the best technical solution, right? And then you do all the questions around that solution, and then they, you know, 
they end up changing it for some other technical reasons. And then you elicit around that and then they change it again. So it's this flipping, flopping of what's the best solution. And you can help to solve this as a PA by asking all the questions that you know the client wants or you know what is the business case. You can ask all those questions to try to make sure that the solution actually works. This is a part of your job and something you should be doing. But even when you do that, there are many cases where the problem is not coming from not knowing the requirements. The problem is coming from a manager who has shifting priorities, a tech lead, a tech manager, right? So they cause you to have a lot of problems and they cannot keep the priority. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't have, they have a lot of knowledge gap. Whatever the reason is, they cause a lot of delays and problems. And they're basically a terrible manager because they can't even admit that they don't know the answer. And they need the team to come together to figure it out uh, more. All right. The next um, messed up manager. And we have, oh gosh, we have quite a few more. I was wondering if I should split this this um, this episode, but I want to get it all out. So I'm going to keep going. And if you're driving and listening to this, then what's the problem? No rush, right? Just listen to this and be entertained while you hear about how to improve your life at work. Now, the next messed up manager is the yes man manager. These people say yes to everything. Everything is yes. You can do this project. Yes, you can do this increase, um, this scope. Yes, you can enhance this thing. Yeah, everything is yes. So what happens to the yes man is that they take on too much and they stress the team out because they said yet they cannot say no. They cannot muster the words no to say, especially because they report to people above them at the C-level executives and they want to seem good. They want to seem that they can do it all and that their team is efficient, all that stuff. And they say yes to things under pressure and then they don't understand what it does to the team and the team capacity. These are terrible managers because they put you under pressure and you feel like you're, you know, running on a rat race. Like you're running the wheel and you don't have a break and you're you're overworked, you're stressed out, you are, um, I mean, it's just so not worth it. It's because your manager is a yes manager. And what do you do with those people? Not a lot you can do either. The most you can do here is you can start asking them for prioritization. You said, okay, we've committed to this, 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 and this. We only have two weeks for the sprint. Which one of these things should be the most highest priority I should work on to try to get those stories ready for the next sprint? Because they can't do them all, right? So by you pushing back on them and saying no in that way, then they start realizing, gosh, what did I do? What did I agree to? And hopefully over time, they'll be, stop becoming yes people. I don't know how you're going to get that, but uh, the, the most part you can do, which is within your control, is not to take on yourself all the things that that manager has taken on. And when they start to try to pass the buck along to you, you just uh, whip out your priority and say, okay, which one should I work on first? And then this is the most important thing, okay? Because when they tell you the most important thing, they're basically telling you what is the priority and that's what you're going to focus on. And if they ask you about the other things, you're like, well, I was working on these things because that was what I was told is the priority, right? Yeah, that's why you deal with them. Now, the other one is the blamer. Got to talk about the blamer, <laughs> Mr. Blamer. Yeah, I gave an example earlier of why they try to blame me for things that I'm like, this shouldn't even be something I have to worry about. But the blamer is whenever the team has some problem or we do something wrong, the blamer likes to point fingers and likes to figure out who's the person to blame. 
I'll give an example. And this was one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me in my career. We have a project for a very, very important client. And we have a deadline that we really have to meet because we have all kinds of stuff tied up with that deadline. And we are working on this project. And it so happened that there is a, uh, a manager who is not directly on the project, but they're, they're in the periphery. Let's say they're on the steering committee, right? And I one day, um, the project isn't going well, and it's not been going well for a long time. Even before I had joined, the project had lots of problems. The scope is out of this world. Um, the client is unhappy. All the things that they said they were going to deliver is being delivered half halfway. Like there's lots of stuff missing, and they have to do lots of rework. It's just every problem you could think of is happening at this project. And that's also a sign that it's not being managed well because we don't have good managers. When you have projects that are so rife with problems, it's a good indicator to the C-level executives that whoever they have running the project is incompetent. It's just the case. So here I am on this project. Um, and this is, again, this is early in my career. I'm, I'm young to this thing. I'm trying to figure this thing out. So I get in there and I'm enthusiastic and I want to learn things. You know, I'm taking on other people's jobs and I'm trying to do everything and I'm invested, you know, I want to do a good job, <laughs> right? That's always been my approach though. I always want to do the best. So we get in there and um, we have some, a lot of user stories that weren't completed within the sprint. The sprints are not finishing what they said they're going to do. They're not finishing. And, and now when I look back, I can tell that's because they weren't estimating properly. But at the time, I didn't know I was the same. They said, they're estimating this way. What am I going to do? I just take their estimates, and that's what I use. But I wasn't a scrum master. There was a scrum master that was managing that. I was just the BA at the time. I think it was junior BA. So we get in there, and the sprints aren't going well. And I see a calendar meeting uh, on my calendar for me to speak with this manager that I never met before. I've seen him in the, like, the sprint demos, but... You know, and at the time, even Agile was new to me. Like, I wasn't even sure how Agile worked at the time, you know. So I'm trying to figure out everything. I've just been hired there. I'm like, okay, what's going on? I've been there like a month or a month and a half by this time. So he sets a meeting on my calendar, and I go to my friend, and I say, hey, you know, this man has a meeting on my calendar. I've never talked to him before. I'm nervous. What do you think it's about? He's like, yeah, I have a meeting too. And they're like, everybody's like scratching their heads like, what's going on here? The guy meets with us separately in individual meetings and he says something to the effect of you know we want to find out if there's anyone on the team that you think is personally not living up to expectations you know we want to know if there's anybody that you're working with that is not meeting the expectations and not doing their job well we want to know personally who you think is that person i mean i was blown away i was like what <laughs> just new to this place and I was like is this normal like this person is not an HR they're not even on the project they're just one of those you know higher up people's and some steering committee or whatever you don't really talk to these people you see the name and they join the meetings and you might say hi to them this is when we we're in the office so I was like no you know I I'm new and everybody seems to be doing a great job for what I can see and 
I don't really know anything about anyone who might not be living up to expectations. Um, I'm just trying to focus on my area. And so far, I've been able to really uh, deliver some stories that I think has been helpful. We've been able to put it in the sprint. And I've been feeling pretty happy about that. So I changed the conversation altogether about myself, about what I'm doing and how I'm happy with what I'm doing. And then... My other coworkers, I kind of said to them, hey, you know, this is what the guy asked me in the media. And they're like, yeah, that's what he asked me too. And the other person told me what she said, but I said to myself, and at the time you could see people's calendar. So I went and saw his calendar and he had meeting with everybody in the team. And I said to myself, what a terrible thing to do to meet with your staff, who is not even your staff, people's staff, and ask them a question to basically tell on each other and ask each other, ask them who is not performing. Don't you have a performance review for this? Don't you have metrics? Don't you have some other way to figure this out? Why would you come to the staff and ask them who is not performing? Because what you've done there, you've sown the seed of distrust. You've let people think, I wonder if somebody else is talking bad about me. I wonder what, if they told, if they told, if they said anything about me being a bad person or whatever. You saw this distrust seed among the team and you let everybody know that you think that there's a, there's a bunch of tattletales running around who's willing to point fingers and blame others. No, maybe the person who did this is a blamer themselves. They're looking for somebody to blame because the project, as I told you, was not going well and the client was upset and all these things was happening on the project. It was a project from hell. So I think they were trying to figure out how could we save ourselves what could we blame? Who could we blame? Who could we suggest to be fired so that we don't get fired because the project is going so bad? Eventually, the project was finished on time, right? With less scope, eventually. Somebody stepped in and said, no, we're not doing this. No, we're not. Somebody came in and made decisions, basically. Because these people, before they tried to make decisions around the scope and how to get the project done, they were busy trying to see who they can point fingers at and who they can blame. So when you work with blamers, you can't change that person's personality, okay? If somebody can say that to you, you know that this is not the place for you. You got to get out of there. So in our case, um, because I wasn't working with that person deliberately, that person eventually got, you know, chipped out to a different project and different department altogether. And they were, there goes the problem. So <laughs> this is the thing, right? So you have terrible people who somehow get into management. And I just wanted to give you that rundown, that list, so you can understand the things that you're dealing with, you're not the only one. No, I have been in a position where managers have been so terrible that I quit the job and I left um, and I moved on. And, I, you know, people do this all the time. The number one reason people leave their jobs is because their managers are terrible. That's the number one reason. So I want you to think about this that I just shared with you. In 2023... You are going to be more successful. I'm putting that out there to you. You're going to be more successful and you're going to do it in an easier way. All right. So if you have a manager that's on this list and their behavior is on this list, you can go back through this and see what I'm suggesting. Most of it has to do with time. If you can wait, it'll solve itself. But if you can't wait, then you can think about talking to the HR. You can think about exhibiting the behavior you want to see from them. And then see if they'll take the cues from that. Um, sometimes if they can't make decisions, you got to make the decision and kind of suggest it to them and see if they'll take that. So there are things you can do. Um, but there's also a case where you feel like, I don't want to deal with this no more. And then you can leave. 
But I don't want you to take leaving as your first option because it's easy to run away. It's easy to quit. A lot of the times, if you don't quit, you'll be successful. So if you're in a good job, everything else is working well, you're getting good pay, and you have one person who's like a thorn, is it worth quitting for that one person? Sometimes you have to think about it like, they're going to win, <laughs> right? Their disgusting attitude has won because it's been successful to chase me away. Whereas if you stayed and just kind of... Um, live through it or not live through it, like face it and, and try to solve it for yourself, then you they didn't win and you won. And you can keep getting your good salary, keep having the rest of the people who are good around you and avoid this person altogether. So think about it really. But in this year, let's not take on problems, right? We're not going to be stressed at work this year. Uh, 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 we're not doing that one. We're going to identify the kinds of people we're working with or working for. We're going to see if these kinds of behaviors, which can become very toxic, has a solution that we can be in control of. Are we going to try to solve it that way? And then if we can't get that solved, then we start looking elsewhere, right? Don't be a jumper. Don't be a hopper. Don't be running away from problems because wherever you go, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is going. Wherever you go, you're going to meet different people with different behaviors. So if you think you're going to go to a company with no terrible managers, and I have another thing to tell you, you are going to meet people who are awful. You're going to have to develop the muscle and the skill to deal with them. Okay. I have found that my light is great because it repels the demons. <laughs> it repels the demons. You, you can imagine that somebody's coming with you with anger and they're toxic and you don't even care about it. And you're just happy in your job and delivering on time and everything is going well and you join the meetings, you're all glow, glowy and happy. They cannot stand it. <laughs> and it's natural. It's not fake. So just my personality alone keeps me out of the 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 strong uh, um, effects of the negative, you know, messed up managers. But even with that, it's not enough. I still encounter a few that I have to find ways around and um yeah that's what we have today it's been a long chat but i haven't talked to you guys in a long time so i gotta talk to you and give you your little bit of motivation okay to start the year right all right so we're gonna be doing it this year guys we are gonna be successful this year we're gonna for people who don't have jobs yet you're gonna get your job all right you're gonna get your job i'm gonna help you please to check out my website I have some new um, products up there. I have a productivity notebook, which is going to help you just prioritize what's urgent, what's quick, what's important, what you can do later. So if you wake up every day and you have this list, you know what to work on first, you will definitely be more efficient. I also have the refinement notebook, which is a book that helps you to get the notes for your refinement calls. So as they're talking about things, it's so much easier and faster to take notes in the refinement notebook. And then you can transfer that to Jira or DevOps or whatever other tool you use. Also, go check out my courses. Go check out all the stuff I have on my website, carlis.com. And I am looking forward to having more episodes with you this year so we can chit-chat together. Okay? And I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Real World Business Analysis Podcast with Carolise. Remember to check out our latest books 
courses, templates, and other resources at caralise.com. That's K-A-R-A-L-E-I-S-E.com. Take the fit test on our website to find out if you're a fit for business analysis and get the results right away. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash caralise. Join our Facebook group called Real World Business Analysis and IT. We're also on Instagram and LinkedIn at Caralise. Goodbye for now. And remember, you are a business analyst rock star. So keep it real. Peace.